2: listen to technically speaking an intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
0: i'm katia adler host of the global story over the last 25 years i've covered conflicts in the middle east political and economic crises in europe drug cartels in mexico
2: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt.
3: My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deckett. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. You guys, I am so very excited. I've wanted to do this episode, I think we all have, for a number of years. First things first, fellow conspiracy realists, if you're watching this video on YouTube, you might notice uh, that our ride-or-die, Matt Frederick, is rocking some cool specs. Uh, we're all fans of cool sunglasses. Until very recently, I, I was wearing glasses on the daily. Um, I'm terrified of the sun. As, you know, you guys know that's my <laughs> ancient <laughs> you that sound? Yeah, oh, yeah, so I can't I can't go I can't go with the daywalkers unless I have some sunglasses on. And I, I was looking at some stats. It's crazy because if you ask people in the US if they own a pair of glasses, just glasses in general, prescription, whatever, whether we're talking about really nifty Prada or Ray-Ban sunglasses, or whether we're talking, you know, bifocal lenses you would get at lens crafters, the answer from those people is probably gonna be yes. of women in the U.S. wear sunglasses as of 2016. 83% of dudes do the same. And prescription sunglasses are also on the rise. It's just, it's a big, 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 big business. But according to the critics, and as everybody knows, if you listen to our recent podcast, conversations on Strange News. According to the critics, there's something wrong with this industry, something deeply wrong. And uh, you'll hear uh, Yeah, sh- and you know, yeah.
2: there's also something wrong with my glasses because I'm wearing contacts right now, and these are corrective lenses, and I'm getting a headache, so I'm going to take this off Is it giving now. you double vision? <laughs> <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> well, but you need those glasses or those contacts. That's something we'll get into, too, because, <clears throat> look, the critics are saying that you can go into a Pearl Vision, you can go into a Lens LensCrafters, a Sunglass Hut, you can go wherever the heck you want, and you can buy whatever kind of glasses or frames you want, very expensive ones to bottom of the barrel, and those brands and those different prices don't actually matter, because according to the critics, you're ultimately buying your spectacles from one very, very powerful company, Luxotica. That's how it's usually known, and they've got a different official name now, but we're finally doing it, you guys. Uh, <laughs> how ridiculous will it be if this is the episode after these many years that sinks our show? Why am I asking? Because <laughs> Lexata is seriously, like, super powerful. They're like the Illuminati of spectacles. Here are the facts.
1: Yeah, I mean, their name even sounds kind of like Illuminati. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, so the founder of Luxottica, uh, is a dude named Leonardo del Vecchio. You can't have a name like that unless you're like a, a eyeglasses mogul. Um, but he established Luxottica at uh, Agordo in the Belluno Dolomites, which is a, a region of Italy. Uh, and the name is derived. It's like a cool portmanteau um, combination of the Italian words for light and optics, luce and ottica. You might, you know, like the, the there's like a Roman Phrase lux eterna that means like the eternal light of God. I, that's what I always think of.
3: Mm-hmm. And they they call this a they call this a perfect marriage. Also,
1: good branding. I, good branding. I, I
3: didn't. Uh, I didn't mean to overemphasize this in the notes. It, 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 if you saw the the notes we have here, this is that line is in all caps. Sorry, guys, it's it's not that important. I was just being lazy. But but that is that is a really cool name. And in its early years, this company wasn't a huge, huge player. They made accessories for the optical industry. They manufactured components. They didn't make their own glasses entire. And Delvecchio saw some opportunity here and maybe was a little bit irritated because he might have felt he was leaving some money on the table. He had originally started his career as a metal worker, but when he moved from Milan to Agordo. He wanted to get into eyewear, and he thought, you know, I've been doing this for a few years. I can make parts for spectacles all the live long day, but what if, he wondered, I could sell my own complete frames? And he did that in 1967 with the first Luxottica collection, and people loved it. People were on board with it. Still wasn't enough. Let's fast forward to 74.
2: Yeah, at that point, he's like, okay, we've made the metal to make the stuff. Now we're making the whole frames to make the thing. And then he's like, well, what if we could do more than just frames? And he thought, well, how do I get all of these things lined up vertically for my own, (laughs) for my own (laughs) wealth? And again, like this is in my opinion, this is great. This is somebody who's thinking really big, right? This is, uh, I don't know, the, the backbone of industry of, of capitalism when it's, when it's working, it's figuring out how to do it. So, uh, but he, uh, the whole idea is he wants to vertically integrate as much of the, the glasses business, frames and all, uh, as he possibly can
1: and the interesting thing too is like i mean del vecchio like his background was in materials like he was a metal worker he was basically like i think an apprentice and never really went to college or definitely never completed college but everything that he learned he did so kind of by the sweat of his brow and the bigger picture of luxotica that we're already just starting to dip our toes in the notion of like taking those materials making it all about the supply chain and the materials uh, and kind of leaving it to others to do the design work though he was into that too um but he's sort of setting the groundwork for this master plan <laughs> that we're getting into. Yeah, yeah, very much so.
3: And v- vertical integration is an, a, a kind of unsexy term for an amazing, impressive, and at times dangerous practice, a dangerous strategy. Uh, I was thinking of different examples. So, like, imagine we get together and we make uh, potato chips conspiracy chips, whatever you want to call them. And we're doing all right. You know, we got four or five flavors. People are into them. Uh, But we want to go bigger. So if we were vertically integrating, we would also start maybe owning stores that sold the chips. Maybe we would start owning the potato fields, right? We would start bringing everything in, as you said, Matt, under one figurative roof. And this has a lot of advantages for the people who are able to pull it off. So by the 70s, Del Vecchio is selling Luxottica glasses directly to customers, and he ends up, like you were alluding to, Noel, he ends up buying a distribution company, and this sets off this period of hectic acquisitions and partnerships throughout the 1980s. The company expands. It blows up, really. It explodes internationally, and then something interesting happens in the world of fashion. As you know, I'm not a person very well acquainted with fashion, but in the in around the 1980s, a lot of people started saying, you know what? Glasses aren't just helping me see better. Glasses can be a fashion statement. And now, you know, now we live in a world where some people wear glasses just because they like the look. There's not a corrective lens. They're just like, hmm, I'm hot stuff with these Warby partners. <laughs> uh, we'll I don't know, dude.
1: I call those glasses pretenders. Like, uh, I'm all about a good sunglass, but... I don't. I think if you don't need the lenses, it's not cool to like be a be a fake glasses wearer during daylight hours. Hey,
2: hey, come on now! Don't throw too much shade. I've i I got those uh, blue shift lenses or the the ones that aren't corrective. Yeah, give you blue the blockers. Or yeah, those are mm-hmm. great, and they look. I like them. I like the way they look. Hey, well, you look that's good. at you least look doing, sharp doing something those. functional. That's at least yeah. doing
1: something functional. Isn't that supposed to like make you like less depressed or something like? <laughs> like what? <is> blue blockers <laughs> fight <do? laughs> eye strain. I think. Yeah, oh, that must be it.
3: Yeah, but but it's it's true. Um, regardless of how you I may mean, personally feel about it, glasses started becoming something more than a medical device. They became a fashion statement, and Luxottica was very much in, the, in on the ground floor of this shift in attitude. They they were arguably in on the ground floor because you know they owned the ground by this point. Sure, but, but they they partnered with Armani, which is amazing. Like. That's a big deal. Armani is known for being kind of expensive.
1: Well, let's also consider, like, I mean, you know, in pop culture, like, wearing glasses was a sign of, considered, like, a sign of weakness, or a sign of being some sort of, like, nerd. Uh, You know, Clark Kent has to take off his glasses to become cool. And when he puts them on, nobody notices him, because he's, you know, a glasses-wearing outcast. And that's true in film, and TV, and all that stuff, and comic books. But because of Luxottica, and this relationship with Armani, and more, you know, moves that they would go on to make, they kind of essentially almost single-handedly made glasses cool and then like a fashion accessory rather than, you know, a mark of, of someone that was like, you know, less than. It's weird how public opinion can shift so easily. You have the right
3: person, the, the right influencer rocking glasses and millions of people can change their mind or change their attitudes about them. Uh, Luxotic like and new. This was a huge opportunity, and they they started making partnerships with pretty much every design house that you could easily think of. And then there's another big shift. So we're kind of – we're giving you the high points of a a very complex story with a lot of steps, but if you're telling the story of Luxottica – when you talk about Luxottica today, you're probably referring to something that happened in October of 2018, which I think uh, all three of us would like to talk a little bit about from the legal side. Luxottica had a merger, and they created a new powerful holding company. The name of Lexotica now, or its holding company, is Essilor Luxottica, all one word. When this thing happened, it created what's called market capitalization of around $70 billion. Not bad for a hometown guy from Milan, you know what I mean? Like today, today, this guy, Delvecchio, is worth an estimated $31.1 billion, just as as himself, not as his company. So, like, this merger, though, it had a lot of people worried, didn't it? I mean, we all watched this war story talk with one of the lawyers involved.
2: Yeah, I just will jump in really quickly. So... Essilor was a freestanding French company, and they specialized in manufacturing lenses. Okay, and when you've got the frame manufacturer <laughs> in Luxottica going, hey, let's get let's merge with this lens manufacturer specialist and create one giant thing. You could imagine that this was um, a bit worrisome for people who are looking uh, looking for that big M somewhere in there. A Little monopoly action, just to see what, what could happen.
1: Yeah, but the merger was weirdly like not that contested. If I'm if I'm uh, right, correctly. yeah, because there's that there's that point where they
3: said these are not things people have to have, like Ray Bans are very popular sunglasses, but they the authorities what who knows what the backroom situation was like, but the authorities officially concluded after long conversations that. Ray-Bans and a lot of sunglasses were in fact... What they call it? They were not must-have, must-have
1: items. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, and that's, that's certainly true. They're, they're more of a status symbol uh, in many ways than they are like a necessity. You can buy a pair of twenty dollars, you know, gas station sunglasses, which ironically Ray Bans used to be. There was a period where, like Ray Bans, as a freestanding company, were, were like failing after you know getting a bunch of hype because of Tom Cruise wearing them in Risky Business, and I believe also in Top Gun, where he had more of the, the mirrored shades. Um, they kind of took a dive and were struggling. And there was a period in the late nineties where you could buy a pair of Ray-Bans at like a drugstore for, you know, 20, 30 bucks and Luxottica, when they, you know, bought that brand or, or whether, I'm not quite sure exactly the relationship because they have various arrangements, but they turned it around and made it into one of the most recognizable, you know, luxury quote unquote, uh, you know, glasses brands in the world. And Made it made it made it like a status kind of thing or like a symbol of like, hey, I can afford to spend one hundred and fifty you know, minimum one hundred and fifty dollars on a piece of plastic that I put on my face.
2: But the thing is, it's not just Ray-Ban, right? No, (laughs) no, nope. (laughs) And there's a lot of stuff people get wrong about it.
3: Uh, They can. There's a stat that I want to bust later on in the show today. Uh, And folks familiar with the story, you can probably guess what that statistic will be. But you're absolutely right, Matt. we can We can laundry list them, uh, but we're not going to laundry list them all because the show would just be us doing that for like easily <laughs> thirty minutes. That's how deep this goes. The company still makes sunglasses. They still make prescription frames. And if you talk to them, their two big, like buckets are retail distribution. Selling sunglasses, frames, lenses, and stores. And then the other one is manufacturing or wholesale distribution. So they're not selling directly to consumers at that point. But
2: Yeah, they're, they're selling to the stores that they own, all the right. damn stores they own.
3: <laughs> yeah, because like, they own some brands. Like you, you, might, you might think, oh, I can't wait to buy my Vogue glasses. But do I choose between the Vogue or do I choose between the Oakley? The same company makes those. Again, these glasses are seen as a fashion statement, and they're they're supposed to have certain connotations, right? Because whenever you're buying something that has a brand, you are buying an idea more so than a physical product, and that's just basic that's day one stuff, baby, so <laughs> in the world of advertising, but they they also they don't just own a bunch of stuff, they also make these licensing deals or these partnerships with names that are familiar to. Anybody in the world: Chanel, Coach, Brooks Brothers, Polo, Ralph Lauren, Prada, Versace—you name it—they're—they're they're involved. They got a hand in the pie.
1: Legacy companies like Tiffany, you know—I mean—and and that that relationship involves, you know, those companies basically licensing out their designs to Luxottica, who then get to slap the, you know, uh, Dolce & Gabbana little logo on the side, and therefore they cost $1,000. But they are not made of magic, you know? I mean, they're they're made of the same materials that everything else is, and don't cost near that to manufacture. I mean, it's, it's like insane markup on these, especially the luxury kind of licensed ones.
2: Uh, you guys forgot Michael Kors? Uh, and just want to point out, according to Marshall's, this shirt is Michael Coors.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Sorry, sorry, Mike. <laughs> Respect, credit where it's due. Uh, but these, these things are all true. And if you travel around the world, you might not know that there's a Luxottica operation near you, but there probably is. There have thousands thousands of retail locations in multiple countries, the U.S., North South America, China, South Africa, the United Kingdom, the United Arab Emirates, et cetera, et cetera. But if you walk into an eyeglass store or sunglass store in these areas, you might not know you're walking into a Luxottica store. You might think... Uh, should I go to sunglass hut or should I go to apex by sunglass hut or should I go to spectacle hut or should I go to lens crafters
2: or maybe pearl vision huh a, a target optical yeah I've been there targets have a lot of lenses that you can buy
1: or OPSM or or a lorry or hey what about you know getting my vision care covered these frames are expensive these prescriptions are expensive uh maybe I'll use iMed vision care that seems legit and unrelated to any of these other Things wait. I'm on their website now, and oh, why is Target Optical listed in Sunglass Hut, Pearl Vision, uh, Lens Crafter? Oh. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, <laughs> mm-hmm. opsm <laughs>
3: <laughs> One sunglasses to rule them all. In the darkness, behind them. Yes, it's true. It's all true, folks. They're not different. Fingers on a hand. That is what we were talking about. Fingers on a hidden hand. And for some people, that's well and good. That's hunky-dory. For other people, that's a huge problem because Lexotica, they argue, has become more than just a, the big boy in the room. It has become a monopoly, and therefore it has become dangerous. So we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we're going to return, separate some fact from fiction, and figure out just how much of this, if any, is true.
2: L-A-S-I-K
3: here's where it gets crazy ah finally to this statistic alright Matt, Noel you you guys and I talked about this off off air, it's something that gets thrown around all the time, you'll hear different versions of it but it's usually something like you Noel know, Exotica controls 80% of the entire sunglass industry something must be done I don't know, that voice is vaguely related to Macho Man Randy Savage um, mm-hmm. who I guess got into optometry
1: or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, he, he always wore he always, always wore Oakley type <laughs> shades. You know, he the like mirrored ones. Yeah. See in
3: his eyes. Oh he, yeah. He
1: <laughs>
3: so snap into a monopoly. What's up with the statistic? Well, it makes for great headlines. That's inarguable, but it probably isn't accurate. And I dug in a little, and I I think I figured out part of the discrepancy. I want to see what you guys think about this. So, if you go to the company itself, they'll be like, "Yeah, we're doing pretty well. We're pretty we're pretty proud of ourselves, but we don't sell 80% of all the glasses in the world." They'll tell you that their frames, just the frames are probably maybe 10% of sales worldwide, and in the US that number bumps up to about 20%. So, one in 5 frames, just in general frames that you buy in the US. Uh, One in five of those is probably made by Luxottica in some capacity. But Snopes broke this down a little bit. And we we need to learn the history of this statistic and how how the wires got crossed. Uh, This is not meant to defend Luxottica, just to be clear. We're just trying to be accurate here. There's an episode of a show called Adam Ruins Everything. And it's Adam Ruins Everything, I think, is a solid show. And In this show, they talk about—in this episode, they talk about Lexotica, and one of their sources is a blog from Forbes written in 2014, and that blog cites this statistic, and it refers to another source of Forbes' article from 2012. Here's what I think happened— If you look at that 2012 article by Dean Crutchfield, you'll see the claim that more than 80% of major eyewear brands are designed and retailed or sold by Luxottica. That's not the same thing as 80% of all glasses ever, ever, ever. It's more like, it would be like if you had a shoe company and you controlled 80% of sneaker brands. That's not the same thing as 80% of all shoes.
1: Does that make sense? That does make sense. And I will say, too, I, I watched a, a 60 Minutes um, episode. It was called uh, Sticker Shock, and it was all about, like, it was their kind of deep dive. This was before Luxottica was much of a I mean, it's still not really a household name. That's kind of the point. But it was really like it felt like investigative journalism at the time because it was sort of like almost this shadowy company. Um, And the headline was, why do designer glasses cost more than an iPad? Uh, The eyewear company with total domination setting astronomical prices. We're going to get to that in a second. But at the time, the CEO, who's interviewed by Leslie Stahl, uh, says that. He She asks him point blank, how many people do you think are wearing uh, glasses that are, you know, in some way touched by Luxottica? And he just said something in the neighborhood. He said billions, billions. So whether or not it's 80% of the overall market share, I mean billions of people you know by the admission of the ceo whose probably job is it to soft pedal these ideas of monopoly uh that's kind of insane and definitely shows some serious domination of that space oh yeah and there's not really a um the the thing that's fascinating
3: is there's not a ton ton of information out there there's not a lot of you could say visibility on some of the ins and outs of how these how the money moves in this situation. And that's always something that you want to look out for when you're trying to figure out if something is a monopoly. There's no mistake. Exotica is indeed a leviathan. It is the largest single player in its industry. But is it a monopoly? Yeah, of course it is. It would be... Well, How could it not be? Luxottica doesn't just own eyewear brands and frames. They don't just own distribution. They own insurance services. They have made these strategic partnerships and acquisitions that give them a uh, a significant amount of leverage on the price of a pair of glasses. They can kind of decide how the market moves. And there are plenty of people will say, well, what's wrong with that? And there are plenty of people who say, that is foobar. A lot of industry veterans have a, have a complex relationship with Luxottica. There's one guy we found, uh, quote, in LA Times, Charles Dehan. Uh, he used to be the main dude supplying frames to the company Lens Crafters before they were acquired by, you guessed it, Luxottica. And he says... There's no real competition in the entirety of the industry anymore. He thinks Lexotica, and there's a quote from him, they, they bought everyone and they set whatever prices they please. And those markups can be incredibly high. As anybody who's ever purchased glasses can attest, like the when we're talking about a markup, a profit margin, <laughs> the numbers might surprise you.
1: Yeah, there was a... Pretty great article from the Guardian, if I'm not mistaken, where some former lens crafter, uh, high level execs were talking about the markup being like uh, bordering on a thousand percent. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. Look, look at these. Look at these
2: things. How much did these cost They're I mean, I get it. You're molding some pieces of metal and some plastics and the lenses aren't you know, simple to produce. But should this be like three hundred dollars? Four hundred dollars? That's what they charge people in these like lens crafters like stores, especially when you're getting your eyes checked and everything. These are these are some of the cheapest glasses I could find. And even with eye insurance, I had to pay a lot of money for these. And it's like I just I
1: don't get it as a consumer. Well, just just really quickly, the CEO Andrea Guerrera in that sixty minutes piece I mentioned, he, his defense of that as well, this is an item that you have to wear on your face all the time. It's the perfect crystallization of form and function, and that's not easy to do. That, that's that's uh, that's what he has to say about
3: that. Yeah, because there is a lot of research that goes into this, right? Uh, there there are people who disagree with that estimation. Folks like a, a journalist named David Lazarus, who was writing for the LA Times, he didn't really mince words when he called prescription eyewear, quote, perhaps the biggest single mass market consumer rip-off in the world. Uh, in oh, man. Yeah, I know, right? And oil companies are still a thing, but whatever. <laughs> in 2012, he broke down the math and he verified that the average cost of a pair of frames, not lenses, mind you, just the frames, was about $231, and that was according to VSP. VSP is the biggest provider of um, eye, eye care, eye insurance benefits. So if you look at the average cost of a pair of just single lenses, that's $112. And those are the simple lenses. If you need some bells and whistles, then the price can double. So if we just take the base value there, 231 plus 112, then what we see is that 343 dollars tens would be the average that people would pay, all told, not counting an eye exam.
2: I think that's exactly what, what these cost. And these are made by Altair. Another company, not Luxotica. Altair is associated with VSP, like directly associated with VSP.
3: Uh-huh, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> mm-hmm. Are we being had? <laughs> That's the question. Uh yeah. And of course, people also pay a premium for designer brands. Again, many, many of these brands are owned by Luxotica or Luxotica has a hand in their production. So naturally, this causes people to say what am I paying for? If so many of these glasses are made in the same place, is the difference just like a logo stamped on the side? Are the pricey posh glasses essentially the same as the stuff at the lower end? And it's, it's, a, it's a good question. But to be clear, you know, they have different designs and things like that. Uh, supporters of this system say, look— these costs are justified. You're not just buying a pair of glasses. You're, you're buying the association with the brand. You're buying the designer's work. You're buying the research that goes into making new frames, better, lighter lenses, and ongoing innovations. But to a lot of critics, this one company, as David Lazarus put it in his articles, is getting away with fleecing people for decades. And you know who agrees? The guy who founded LensCrafters. crafters. What? <laughs> Yeah, he's in, he's in an interview and he's like, oh yeah, this this markup is real. His name's E. Dean Butler. Uh, he says you can get amazingly good frames for $4 to $8. And then for $15, he says, you can get designer quality frames made, the stuff you get at Prada. And good shut lid. up. Yeah. No. It,
1: this is real. This is real. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but it still doesn't have it's not Prada though. You know, it's all about that stamp. It's all about that like status symbol. You know what I mean? Like there are people that really matters to. Uh,
2: I'm I Do you know not how many stamps you can make for several hundred dollars?
1: I know I could put but... Prada
2: on everything I own. It's the, <laughs> a couple hundred dollars. Is, it's, the, makes it's, sense. The, it's
1: the same with like shoe people, you know, like you know hype beast type stuff with like uh, particular brands of shoe that are crazy amounts of money. Or it's about scarcity, you know. It's a combination of all that stuff, but you know, it it is more about this manufactured idea that Ben was referring to than it is about the quality of the actual good. I have plenty of cheap sunglasses, but I also own a pair of hundred plus dollar Ray Bans because. It made me feel cool to own them. It made me feel like I was in some kind of club. I'm going to be completely honest. I know it's sort of pathetic, but it is no, what it not. is. And I know it's a, lot of, a no. lot of people feel that way.
3: No, it's, it's not, definitely it, not pathetic. Yeah. I, a lot of people do feel that way. It's a natural human instinct, you know. And I, I want to drop one more piece here. Butler also says that when it comes to lenses, they cost about a dollar twenty-five a pop. So $2.50, those are the lenses. These, All these same components we just described can be, you know, they can be combined into spectacles or sunglasses, and those can sell for as much as $800 U.S. This is, this is kind of nuts. Now, of course, if it's your money, it's your money and spend it as you choose. No one's here to tell you what to do, but I think it's a good question for us to ask, which is how much of a role does Lexotica play in setting these prices, how much should they play? And why, is, why are those questions important in the first place? Because, right, we're talking about just sunglasses. We're talking about just glasses. That might not seem important to a lot of people, but we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. And when we return, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into why this matters.
2: L-A-S-I-K
3: We've returned. Okay, so that's the situation. What on earth are we supposed to do? First, we got to admit, corrective lenses and glasses, right, they have ascended to the level of fashion, but they're also still medical devices. They're necessary for billions of people. And that means it becomes arguably... I think this is a solid argument. It becomes a medical concern, like part of healthcare. You know what I mean? Like people, people need to have glasses for more than just looking cool.
2: That's why I wanted to talk about this so much with you guys because that's the only reason I have glasses because I had to. I couldn't see right. And the first pair of lenses I got was at a Lens Crafters. I remember it very vividly. Uh, it was, it was at North Point Mall. Oh my god! I'm, I can see the whole thing happening right now. <laughs> It was not crazy expensive. I didn't have vision insurance or anything like that and it it wasn't crazy expensive. I remember the lenses themselves being really expensive for some reason. I don't know maybe I'm misremembering that. I don't have to write to my parents or something. I was a kid and I I remember something like there was such an upsell while I was in this place that's supposed to be an eye doctor but it really felt like a lens distribution like <laughs> store, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what it felt like.
3: Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's it's it feels like it's more of a store that also has an eye doctor working there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a very common setup, you know. And even if you don't like glasses, but you have to wear them, you get the eye exam, you're probably gonna look for the easiest answer, right? So you've just had your eye exam, they've got your prescription. Why not knock it all out while you're here? Why not get the contacts? Mm-hmm. Why not get the get the glasses? And even if you can point to examples of glasses that are more expensive just because they're fashionable, we can escape we cannot escape the simple fact. These are not nifty little sartorial nods for most people wearing them. They're necessary. You need to see. And if there's one company reigning over an industry that important, then those folks have no choice but to interact with it. That's it. There's no other option. And that doesn't, like, and maybe, it, maybe it's helpful in the long term for this company to have many guises, for it to appear as though there are many, many more manufacturers and many, many more uh, stores than there are in reality. But how do you fix it? You know, would you say, would you say okay, we need Uncle Sam to step in and prevent price gouging? Right, like um, consider the example of insulin. Insulin it sh- it had the price has exploded, right? Recently, and it really shouldn't.
1: Is it is it only a monopoly if it's something that people need, like 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 the, like the internet, like telecom or whatever? It's maybe a little easier. The barrier to approving a monopoly there is a little easier. I'm just confused. Like this seems like a straight up monopoly, and yet. They were allowed to have that merger where it's all of the pieces of the puzzle, you know, the, the lenses and the, and the, and the um, uh, frames, but yet they, it sailed right on through with very little um, pushback. From regulators, so i 'm just wondering like is it because but but then the medical device you know angle of it, especially the fact that they literally own that insurance carrier we talked about, I med vision, which self proclaimed uh, the second largest vision benefits company in the United States, serving approximately fifty two million members, and who do you think they cover? where do you think the the places that that you go that are like in network are it's those places i uh, named off at the beginning of the show uh, that we that, that we mentioned that uh, they also own. So how is that not a total conflict of interest? I just don't understand how this is allowed to, to yeah. exist.
3: Yeah, a monopoly doesn't have to be over a necessary good. Uh, it could be like a mono- – you could have like – back in the day you might have a monopoly on the fur trade. People like wearing fur. They like using it for stuff, but – you're not going to die or have your quality of life significantly impacted if you don't have fur right in the case of clothing you would just wear something else so that the argument there is that again these are not must have items these are optional but that isn't really the case it's it's not basely untrue, but it it is a little bit misleading to frame it that way, especially when you consider how convenient that makes the company's position. So how would you, if you said this was price gouging, how would you tackle it? You know, would you take an approach similar to the way regulators have tackled the pricing on EpiPens, which is definitely a must-have item for some people? Uh, if you're a fan of the free market, if you fall more on that side of political, economic philosophy, you might say, I don't know. I, I think the government interference for sunglasses or glasses in general, I think that's a bridge too far. But there's a response to that. And I think it's a response that's fair to ask. Didn't a free market pave the way for Luxottica in the first place? Like, again, their perspective is, you know, we're doing very well as a business. That's what we do. We, and, and we're the best at it, but we're not some kind of evil empire. We're giving they'll say we're giving people a ton of options. you know, we're giving them a ton of choices, right? Not everybody has to buy eight hundred dollar glasses. We have other stuff available. That's their argument. But you can easily see why a lot of folks would have a problem with that, both inside and outside the industry. Um, one thing that we should note is this may not be the situation for Forever or for long, because now there are new competitors out there. There are places like um, Zenny. You guys remember Zenny? 100. percent
1: People love Zenny because they make stylish-looking frames for oh, an affordable cost. Clearly, <laughs> I am uh, uh, sponsored by them. No, I'm not. But like, or like Warby Parker. You know, they've kind of cornered the market on internet. Uh, only frames, but the the question there is like, are they just gonna? We didn't talk about this, but I'd love to bring it up. Yeah, uh, Oakley, we we mentioned, and I think I maligned somewhat. Sorry, any Oakley wearers out there? But Oakley kind of called them on this stuff. As a company, they called them on this price fixing, you know, uh, shenanigans. But what do you think? El Exotica did? They they dropped them from all their stores. Uh-huh. <laughs> ah, there we go. And then they and then they bought them. <laughs> In a yes. hostile takeover, yeah, they in sank a hostile their stock. takeover. We sank their stock by because they again, if you're the only game in town in terms of retail, aside from little niche, you know, stores. I mean, Sunglass Hut—that's kind of where it's at. It's in every mall. You, you think of like, where do I go to get sunglasses? Aside from like some cool local store that sells all kinds of stuff, or maybe like you know, b- boutique type type shops. You're gonna say Sunglass Hut or one of those places. So if your product is dropped from the one kind of hub for buying sunglasses you're screwed and then once there's once there's their stock price tanked uh they bought them for like a deep discount that's some real i drink your
3: milkshake stuff you know what i yeah, mean yeah it is and it was it was successful it worked uh, you'll you'll see other people criticize luxotica this is not necessarily a hidden thing it was um last week tonight had a piece on it. We mentioned Adam ruins everything. There's been a lot of reporting over the years, but the situation hasn't really changed. That's, that's the thing. People might be more aware of it, but that's, that's not stopping what people would characterize as monopolistic practices. And this is not a case uh, like the De Beers cartel, which has to advertise in the U.S. through a number of other fronts. You know what I mean? Lixotica is here. They actually just relocated a bunch of jobs to Dallas. Uh, they've been expanding during the COVID pandemic. They've got they've got irons, irons in the fire, and it makes me wonder what the future is out there or what it should be, right? Should authorities interfere with this? Should they say, hey, this is we're we're using antitrust laws to break up this monopoly? I I don't know, because right now the at least in the US, the government has been very, very friendly to monopolies. Check out our two part episode on lobbying.
2: Yeah. Well, and add to that, this year in March, uh Esselor Luxotica acquired another giant company called Grand Vision for eight eight and a half billion dollars. So like they're they're still expanding. Oh yeah. <laughs> It blows my mind to imagine that they're already that big and they're just going to continue the the blob is going to continue expanding out,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it does it surprise you though? I mean, it seems like it's what they've what you know, from back when our boy Leonardo was just a wee lad, you know, in uh, in Milan. He had a dream and it wasn't to make handmade artisanal glasses for the people. It was to be like the octopus that 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 makes glasses for the the universe. Yeah. You know?
2: Well you're right, um, but
1: but it's a weird situation where for this specific one
2: in March that they just got uh, antitrust approval for whatever it is to, to go along with the acquisition. They had to sell off a bunch of their stores in Italy and the Netherlands and a couple other places in order to have more stores under this new brand that they're purchasing. Um, It's just a strange shuffling in the end to, I think, vie for more market share. But I I don't know. I'm not like that attorney who was uh, being interviewed for that one thing we watched. Everybody on this call watched. It's just so nonchalantly talking about (laughs) how it's not a monopoly
3: we like to do what we want <laughs> take away but yeah check that out uh, just go to youtube and search war stories lexica i think that'll get you there um, it's an interview with the lawyer who shepherded a lot of that merger so that that is where uh, that is where the state of classes is at and increasingly people are Oh, forgive me. Seeing the situation with more clarity, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything would change. And there are a lot of people who think maybe stuff shouldn't change. Maybe that's just how the spectacle sausage gets made. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like, I know. Not a pleasant. Not a pleasant image. Uh, but we we hope we've been fair at least to to give you Luxotica's perspective as well as the perspective of other people but the the truth of the matter is that these things are relatively inexpensive to manufacture and they are sold with a very high profit margin that's not necessarily illegal at least as the law stands now but then you have to ask yourself one of the questions we asked ourselves in our episode on Alec not Baldwin a different Alec mm-hmm. and our episode on lobbying which is how how much credibility can you give to laws when we're talking about entities that may be powerful enough to write the laws that they you know that they are constrained by and can if so can could do that can they just are they at the point where they just buy a politician's time? I don't know.
1: I think we I think it may be
2: <laughs>
3: Let yeah. us feel, doesn't feel
1: like they owe anybody any favors. <laughs> That's right. Yeah,
3: I keep thinking about that quote from a show we did earlier where the guy yes was sir. like on record blah blah blah. <laughs> Check it out if you want to, if you want to hear it. What
1: was it? It was something involving a sex act, but it meant to be a stand-in for like this guy owns everybody, right? Kind of Mhm yeah
3: and you can you can find it just check out our check out our earlier uh, I believe it was strange news uh, or listener mail but it's out there and now we pass the contact lenses to you folks what do you think should or should not be done about this do you think that this is price gouging do you think that it victimizes maybe vulnerable people who have no other option or do you think this is just business as business goes
2: yeah we we want to know you can find us everywhere online if facebook is working we're there if instagram is working we're there too as well as youtube and several other places usually it's conspiracy stuff on instagram conspiracy stuff show if you don't want to use social media because you know you have a problem with it for one reason or another yeah you don't have to uh you you can call us we have a phone number
1: that's right, it's one 833 3 minutes is the time which you shall have To leave your missive um, Make sure to let us know that it's okay To use the audio on the show And then you might hear yourself On one of our weekly listener mail episodes Also, if you would be so kind as to Tell us what to call you Give yourself a cool nickname We're cool with Anonymous, whatever If you want to just use one of those fancy voice disguiser things on you We might even go so far as to do that If your story is super cool
2: Hey, and if you got more to say you want to send us more things why not use our good old-fashioned email address we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com
3: a subsidiary of luxotica kidding kidding
4: He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed.
1: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
4: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz,